0: Hello and welcome to Rise of RevOps. This episode features an interview with Tim Richards, head of global sales at Nextdoor. Neighbors around the world turn to Nextdoor daily to receive trusted information, give and get help, get things done, and build real world connections with those nearby, neighbors, businesses, and public services. Tim is a strategic business leader with experience building exceptional teams and driving success with high-profile brands. He has deep experience at scaled enterprises like Verizon AOL, Time Warner, and now Breakout Company Nextdoor. In this episode, Tim discusses his go-to-market fundamentals, the importance of harnessing a learning mindset, and how to hit more bullseyes with fewer arrows. But first, a brief word from our sponsor.
1: Rise of RepOps is brought to you by Qualified, Qualified's Pipeline Cloud is the future of pipeline generation for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Learn more about the Pipeline Cloud on qualified.com.
0: And now, please enjoy this interview with Tim Richards, head of global sales at Nextdoor, and your host, Ian Faison.
1: Welcome to Rise RevOps. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I am joined by a special guest. Tim, how are you?
2: Ian, great to be with you today.
1: Yeah. Excited to chat with you today about all things Nextdoor. One of the truly great apps of our generation. Love it. Couldn't imagine being a little homeowner out here in the deep east bay without uh, a good Nextdoor. So excited to dig into all that. And of course, your background. So how the heck did you get into revenue? It's a
2: long story. Thinking about you, Ian, I did some reflection and it's funny. I was actually part of the world's worst corporate merger at, at time warner and AOL and i was on the time warner side at the time and ultimately when AOL was spun out i joined AOL to help kind of resurrect that brand which was you know was quite distressed and spent about 10 years there building it up working closely with tim armstrong and a number of people to ultimately sell it to verizon and it was a fabulous Experience because we had basically touched every kind of facet of digital media. Crazy amount of own and operated like um, HuffPo, TechCrunch, World's Greatest Ad Network, and Ad. dot com, which was the OG programmatic pioneer. We we acquired Millennial Media and great mobile business data companies and so forth. So it was a really fantastic place for me to kind of grow my career and not only just learn and grow in all these different areas, but work with like tremendous people. We sold the business to Verizon and then I left corporate America and then had been doing venture-backed startups for the last five years or so, mainly in the distributed creator economy space and uh, very happy doing that. All local you know, companies got the call from Nextdoor to come over and i was always been so intrigued by the company kind of for the reasons you noted and couldn't pass it up. So I joined uh, about four or five months ago now. And uh, off to the races and, you know, building a, a great company that's having a big impact on the world. So very happy to be here.
1: Yeah, it is quite the journey for you in touching so many different areas of revenue, you know, running sales for all sorts of different size companies and scope and volume and all that. I'm curious, like, how the heck do you think about RevOps?
2: I, I got the religion on it at AOL. And it was, it was the context of, one, you know, just as a, as a revenue leader, just being buttoned up on the context and and we were providing our, our salespeople and leaders in terms of driving the business. But the other part that I think it's missing a lot of the time is when you're acquiring a lot of companies and knitting that together. So what happens is there's a set of people, very smart people, that knit these deals together, but it's the RevOps team and the operators that have to make it work. And that's where all the heavy lift is. And that's where I really grew a huge admiration for the function and the people who do it. And so I worked with some like really legendary people in the space. It's a set of skills and RevOps that, that's really hard to replicate. But when you're working both in terms of driving the, the business, but also knitting acquired companies together, it's imperative to have like a very muscular RevOps group. So I appreciated the chance to talk to you about it because it's meant so much to me. And the success that I've had is having like strong RevOps partners, for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that that this show really wants to do is to establish that point of view of the revenue leader of how they view RevOps and, and who better to talk to than you about it because you've seen it from so many different angles and so many different companies. What's your definition of RevOps? As you'll probably tell, I'm a very simple person. And the way I describe it, is
2: sometimes people have a hard time distinguishing it between what finance does, or what RevOps does. And so I just try to paint the picture of a very fast car driving down the road. And RevOps is the headlights that you need to anticipate the curves, you know, drive the business, adjust as you go. Finance is the rearview mirror of what happened and so forth. And they're both important, serve a, a really, you know, valuable purpose to the company. But if you have a very strong RevOps team, you're going to be arcing those turns. You're going to be optimizing your speed down the hill. And if you have a, a suboptimal RevOps situation, you're going to be knocking over your neighbor's garbage cans. You know what I mean? So I think of it as a very fast car and, and the headlights and the high beams looking down the road to kind of guide where you're going. And I've always looked at it that way, both in terms of operating the business, but also on a strategic level.
1: In your role at Nextdoor, obviously, everybody knows who Nextdoor is. And if you don't, you should go download the app. But um, what does revenue look like at Nextdoor, and how do you think about it?
2: Yep. Well, it's the it's advertising-based model, for sure. That's a great model. It's a great business for us. It, it dovetails very well because the advertising actually serves an important function in the neighborhood. And it's all about connecting consumers and, and, and what we call neighbors— to businesses, both local businesses and, and small businesses, but also large-scale businesses that want to localize their offering or tailor what, the, what they're putting together. And so we have some very differentiated things that we do uh, at Nextdoor that throws off a high-intent signal. So mainly, everybody on the platform is verified down to their address, and so that's highly unusual. Uh, we have a very high degree of home ownership and you're emblematic of someone who may have moved from the city out to the, out to Walnut Creek. And, um, and, and all of a sudden you're like, where do I find a plumber playing a soccer league? How do I find someone to walk my dog? Can I volunteer or how can I help my neighbors or someone who's elderly, who can't go get their medicine and so forth. Next door kind of is exists to kind of help facilitate that. and And we want to do it in a way that through kind conversations and be kind of the so, the social network that one is oriented to the neighbors, neighborhoods, but also cultivates kindness and creates engagement through kindness rather than through distraction and divisiveness. We have about 700 employees and we have a high degree of diversity and diversity of thought here, but the throughput, the thread that comes through all 700 employees that I've seen is that notion of like improving neighborhoods, bringing people together You can talk about the value of people's lives and their mental state when they're more connected with their neighbors. And there's very important things, especially in the context of the last few years, COVID years, and a lot of divisive things happening, you know, certainly in the United States. It serves an important function that way. So what we're trying to do is kind of create an online platform or application that allows people to connect offline as well. And so it creates a very unique opportunity for brands to kind of talk to consumers in that context. And so we have, you know, a lot of people that when they come to the platform, they either need to do something with their house, they want to kind of, you know, join a community, participate in a community, and they habituate over half of our users come on a weekly basis. And so the frequency and the intent that's part of that platform creates a really interesting combination of signal that our brands can can uh, tap into, and so my job is to is work with our team to evangelize that, explain it to people, provide thought leadership or domain expertise in that space, and so it's it's a really great, unique thing to be able to talk about on a daily basis. I love it.
1: Yeah, I'd say I'd say you you, you pretty well have me pegged. Move from Oakland to Walnut Creek. The one thing you forgot to mention is trying to figure out how to get rid of the raccoons because my goodness gracious that is like next door is popping for trying to get rid of these <laughs> get rid of these raccoons we got to relocate these things there turn yes. up our yards
2: yes it's an important subject but what's cool though is you you get a read on what people are thinking about you know what i mean there's really no other place where if you're a homeowner and you have a raccoon issue that that is kind of taking up some headspace right so learning oh. learning how to solve it Communicate with people. Are you the only one? It is interesting to play out, and and it's actually what's happening out in the real world. And you might find a neighbor that helps you solve your your problem. You know what I mean. And so that's we see instances of that happening on the platform constantly, and it's very rewarding to see. But that's what you, that is. What's on your mind out in Walnut Creek is for solving that raccoon issue. So it's it's okay.
1: Don't I know it. Um. <laughs> but I, but no i think it it brings up a great point about the sense of community and and where does technology fit into that and ultimately like where do advertisers fit into that and like how does that evolve how does that experience evolve how does it stop being you know shoving 700 pieces of of paper into my mailbox every day with all sorts of different offers but also from an advertiser perspective like you said to get that access to a group of people that are looking for ways to improve is really advantageous. How do you think about you know going to market and and who are those next door customers that you're looking at looking at? Who are those advertisers? So we do especially
2: well. You know, I was describing that high intense signal and a high degree of own ownership, home ownership. So and then also there's a proxy for wealth in there too. So there's a lot of spending power, and so it's we do especially well. In in things like home services, for instance. That that might not be like a the most prominent ad category generally, but for us, it's it's ultra core to what we do. We do very well in financial services, we do very well with CPG and retail. And so for instance, if you're working like with a Home Depot is a good, good example where a large retailer that helps you kind of take care of your home or improve your home and so forth. But every one of those Home Depot stores has something unique about it. So, like I my home deep my main Home Depot is in Corte Madera. And there's one guy who runs the paint department in the Home Depot in Corte Madera. that's like a legend in Marine. And so it creates an opportunity for them to almost almost produce like local influencers in their areas of like people you go to for answers and so forth. And so it it creates a chance so people aren't looking at home depot in the aggregate they're looking at like the home depot store in Corte Madera or the one in walnut creek and so what we like to think about is like helping these national partners tailor their messaging to the local community and that creates a lot of very unique combinations that we can put together for them and so that's a big that's a big part of what we focus on with with us so home services is is a great place to start but we're we're burgeoning in a in a lot of different categories across the board for the same reason. There's a lot of buying power. There's a lot of interest in putting things in local context for a broad spectrum of brands.
1: Yeah. How as a RevOps problem, uh, and thinking about how to, you know, go after those accounts and, and getting to a predictable revenue point, what what's what's RevOps' role in that?
2: It's a couple of things. It's sizing the market. So I'll add a couple that we're 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 spending a lot of time right now. Healthcare and pets. You know, if you're a homeowner, there's generally a high of, a degree of interest in and in, in owning pets. And so sizing that market is really important. Identifying like the top partners to kind of go develop is is really important. Same with healthcare and developing our story, but but wrapping it around where the opportunities are. And so that's what I mean, like in terms of the combining the strategic part of what RevOps does and setting kind of direction kind of where we want to go run and and develop opportunities, but also the rigor against that. And so I'm kind of maniacal about making sure the top 5,000 Pathmatics accounts are assigned to the person and we can track that. And so I want to understand the pressure that we're putting on development, the development pressure of those accounts and so forth. And so having an accurate read on that, Think about it in the form of a dashboard. So just like you're driving your car, you need a speedometer that's accurate to, to pump the brakes or accelerate and so forth. And that's how I want our RevOps flow to feel for every single person in our distributed sales force. So we have about 50, 52 frontline sellers. And I want that information to get out to the edge to them so they can see where they're at. So they have their own speedometer of the pressure that they're putting on the accounts and the, and the categories that we want to develop. I also want like a really tight feedback loop on, you know, what's working and what's not, what's, what's resonating and what's not. Uh, I know you ask about tools in, in some of your other podcasts and like I'm very bullish on, on game film now, like, like using tools like Gong, I O as an example where we can get great feedback, not just from notes, but by watching the game film ourselves ourselves. And also, you know, counting the comments that go into it. It's such a great time to be a sales leader and, and, and work in RevOps because the tooling is so fantastic. And just kind of building out your stack that kind of suits our needs, needs is so exciting right now. We're definitely trying to, you know, take advantage of the contemporary set of tools available to us to drive both the strategic kind of aspect and where we're going, but the tactics and the rigor that we need to get there.
1: So where does uh, your RevOps team sit? So they're part of the revenue organization.
2: So we have our, our RevOps, our, our sales, our measurements, all tightly bundled together. The only thing that's kind of sits outside that um, is marketing for now. That rolls up to our CEO, Sarah, at the moment.
1: Cool. Okay, let's get to our first segment, Rev obstacles.
2: Obstacle, obstacle.
1: An obstacle to
0: what? There's your obstacle.
1: Where we talk about the tough parts of RevOps, what is the hardest RevOps problem you've faced in the past year or so? Uh, in the last year, it was
2: it was just getting accounts straightened out where we had proper distribution, and that's, that's a pretty big lift. And with a fast-moving organization, the company set up a mid-market team about a year ago, which was the right strategic move for sure for our type of business. But there was a lot of work to be done in terms of just shaping it and honing it in. So that's been the biggest thing to have a single source of truth that was reliable in terms of coverage, not only in the account level, but at an agency level. And so that sounds if that sounds mundane, it might. But to me, it's like so fundamental to kind of having the strongest go to market we can with the, the widest, deepest net we can. I will tell you, though, nothing here can compare to the, the challenges we had when we were doing AOL, where we had, you know, eight revenue lines, acquired companies, completely different systems. And so the degree of difficulty and scale of that was much harder. So while I'm not minimizing the work to be done here, it's definitely pales in comparison to what else, what we were up against kind of straightening out AOL. But having the right people in place, we got the right tools in place, people are in a growth mindset that want to learn and change. And I guess maybe just to add to that too is putting a big emphasis on learning culture in in terms of like having people that in the mindset of like learning, changing, growing, and want to do that. And so when we're doing training that they feel like a kid in a candy store versus feeling like we're dumping the, the dump truck on their desk, you know what I mean? And so we recruit curiosity, we, we want to develop that. We just hired a very top-notch um head of sales enablement. And so that's gonna be kind of fundamental part of what we do too, in terms of getting training on tools. We're migrating to a new platform and also and, and just having a learning culture in general to make us fast and agile.
1: You mentioned marketing sits, you know, in a separate organization and RevOps falls under revenue. I'm curious, how do you sort of get that more? Holistic view of of what's going on. How do you work with marketing? And then anytime that you're selling advertising, obviously it's a very different type of a sale than like a SaaS sale. Um, you have a different type of relationship with your customers. And so I'm just curious, like how do you think sort of RevOps supports that type of customer journey in, from like you know acquisition to keeping them happy? Yeah,
2: it it actually is tightly wound. We have a system. We use a pillar system here, which I like a lot. And that's basically cross functional meetings that we have every other week, across a variety of different subjects, where even if the companies aren't sitting in the same org, they're sitting in a regular transparent discussion that's very heavily documented, very accountable, and very transparent. And so you, you solve it, to answer your question, you solve it through communication. You solve it through transparency and accountability. And so part of it too is, you know, just coming out coming in 2023 and going through that kind of annual planning process, which was my first at Nextdoor, we set the priority order of things as well. And so we have a nice system, not only of the, of the pillar system, but very clear OKRs that all map to a unified harmonized kind of set of goals. And so it's actually has not been difficult to keep things uh, harmonized. And that, that says something for the setup. And the structure and also says something about the people. We've got like very talented, cooperative, thoughtful people that work here that want to win and want to do their best work. They're not afraid of change. Thus far, that's been that's been really exciting to be a part of and and we're building on a lot of those plans right now.
1: Any rev oops moments or rev obstacles from, you know, your past lives, sounds like there there might have been a few, but I don't know if there's any any that you can share that stand out. I haven't had any here yet. I'm still inside my first, you know, six months of here, and it's again, it's been
2: as I expected, a like very pleasant, very buttoned-up experience, and so I haven't had some like big epiphany there. I, I would say one of the things that, that I guess that 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 we kind of did as part of the process is making sure that everybody at the executive level and across functional level was familiar with all the tools and the systems that were in place that the sales team was using. And so I suggested this to, to our, le- our leadership team in one of our, our early meetings, and they were very enthusiastically accepted to jump in and, and sit shoulder to shoulder with our frontline sellers, frontline ad ops people. And that proved to be really, really successful. That was a very positive thing in terms of understanding where the issues were, and, and so to help set expectations, it helped with our strategic planning and so forth. And so it's less of an oops moment and more of like a discovery of all the imperfections that we had to yet solve. And so that's kind of like how I thought about that question is, is like creating awareness and transparency so people can solve it at every level of the company. I think what happens sometimes is if you, if you have just, senior people talking to senior people and not pulling down to the detail level. Mistakes can get made there. And so we're being very careful here at Nextdoor that we have very strong transparency and detailed kind of uh, discussions, telescoping from this uber-tactical up to the uh, strategic level when we're kind of doing planning and stuff. The, I guess the other thing, too, on a, on an oops level would be just when there's misalignment. And that's more what I have in my past life when especially with an acquired company where they were told one thing, usually in a in a BD session or whenever kind of part of the, the M&A process. And then on the execution level, we've been running a different set of plays and having to reconcile that is very stressful, takes a lot of time. Usually nobody's happy, slows things down. And so... I would say the RevOps oops thing is making sure you're aligned with an acquired basis uh, with your M&A team and what expectations were set and the plan moving forward and making sure that lines up with what reality is. You know what I mean? And so that's definitely a big one. And, And the RevOps team is always the ones stuck in the middle of solving that. So that's just something to kind of think about for sure
1: a lot on the show you know talking to b2b companies we think about this idea of this customer success or uh, or customer journey or or that piece but again like kind of, like i mentioned with advertising it's it's really different it's so roi driven i mean everything is roi driven but like if you're buying a piece of hr software you either need it or you don't right like hard to really quantify whereas like your ad dollars you really need to dig into that stuff i'm curious like how does revops support like renewals
2: yeah that's a good question. I mean we 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 focus a lot on re- renewals retention as a important metric we we measure ourselves against and I guess it starts with awareness and also just identifying where the issues are that we have to solve and I think that's that's a really important one. There's also just like a a broader issue too where because of the state of like tracking and and the, moving away from cookies and, and all the things that, that uh, advertisers are up against in terms of how they actually quantify outcomes. There's an attribution paralysis going on in the market. And helping, helping companies solve that problem is really important because there's a lot of time and expense that companies have to devote now to find out what actually happened and they can't use the old tactics that they had before. And so it's a combination of rev ops and measurement in that case that can help kind of solve like a genuine business problem that most of our, our major brands, brand partners have right now. And so that's a, that's a work in progress. There's not a silver bullet on that one, Ian, but you could be creative in many ways. And it's not just, building beautiful work, but you can be creative in how people solve that problem. And that's where the art form of RevOps comes in to kind of help us solve that with partners.
1: I love that you said attribution paralysis, because that that is what it feels like, right? I mean, in the B2B world, you, you hear this, you know, dark funnel, dark social, you know, all these things that you're trying to figure out how you can go acquire accounts and get people interested it is attribution and it's and it, there is that fear of the unknown and like we just don't know how we're gonna prove you know anything anymore i'm curious like just how many people do you get do you talk to companies that have like never even tried next door before because it's like oh yeah i i've been pouring money into google and facebook forever in a day and like we're looking to check check a new yeah, channel. Yeah, it's, it's
2: it's a lot. And that, and again, that's what creates an exciting opportunity for us. That our our penetration, while we've been very successful and growing like crazy, you know, and doing and, and continuing to move up up and to the right, there's still so much work to be done in terms of market pre- penetration. And I spend in my role, I, I in because I've been at this a long time. I tend to talk to more senior people in the industry and, I, and I'm close friends with many of them. And so we, you know, over a glass of wine, you know, talking about kind of what's expected of them and they'll say, you know, hey, Tim, budgets are flat or down. When we talk about it, I say, yeah, I totally get that. I live in that dream too. But like, do you have to innovate and do you have to kind of show, you know, your brand or your CEO, you're doing new things. And they're like, Absolutely. And so the next is like, well, if you're kind of default, if the default setting is on on meta and Google and God bless those companies, like they've done a great job. Uh, I'm not anti either of them, but if people are just kind of producing the same plans over and over and over again, somebody's getting fired, right? You still have to demonstrate innovation, even in a, in a tight market like we're in. And so the commentary or discourse is like, look, Try out next door and, and talk to have your brand talk to those consumers in a novel way. And by the way, this testing environment actually is likely going to work because of the high-intent signal that we can demonstrate. And so it's a nice combination of something where you can demonstrate innovation, but also have a high degree of certainty you're going to have a nice outcome, especially when they're focused on more omnichannel measurement. And so we're doing developing partnerships or have partnerships with Newstar using, you know, live ramp data and so forth. And so these brands that are a little more evolved and getting out of like ultra rudimentary click-through measurements and looking at more, you know, what's actually tracking things more holistically, our story gets very, very good. So it's demonstrating a way to, to innovate, but also kind of think about measurement differently is like really, really important. And then finally, it's just education. And I, li- I like that part of our job, too. Our role of our team is to constantly be educating people not only about, about Nextdoor, but being subject matter experts on reaching you know, people in a localized way and how that works and so forth. And there's a lot of misconceptions about it and so forth. And so there is definitely a big kind of educational kind of part of what we do in our daily kind of go-to-market and sales motion in the field.
1: All right, let's get to our next segment, The Tool Shed. Hey, hey Brandon, Michael, wanna do me and mom a favor, get off that shed? This is my favorite place. (laughs) The Tool Shed.
0: Get off the shed!
1: We're talking tool spreadsheets and metrics, just like everyone's favorite tool, Qualified. No B2B Tool Shed is complete without Qualified. Go to qualified.com right now and check them out. Qualified, they're the best. They're the absolute best tool in the entire Tool Shed go to qualified.com tim what's in your tool shed what do you like in these days you mentioned you know the listening tools like, like gong and and things like that what else is in the tool shed
2: you know our, our kind of core like you know obviously salesforce we religiously use that salesloft looker to kind of develop our dashboards i think a lot of what we're one of the things we're up against right now the kind of like life cycle of nextdoor is lots of good stuff dissipated around the company and putting it in one place is like a major kind of like focus right now. And so I, I like dashboards a lot better than I like spreadsheets and our RevOps team believes in that as well. And so that's a big focus of ours, but I will say back to your question, I'm semi-obsessed on Gong right now. I am a nut about game film. I played sports growing up and coach always used to say film, film don't lie. And as much as someone can kind of give you a killer recap, and they can kind of tell you what happened, the chance to watch what actually happened in a meeting is so fabulous and genuinely helpful uh, in terms of how we respond to people. And you know, you and I could watch game film; that like you could pick up something completely differently than I saw, and it's just so nice to have that. We've had many instances where I've sent that to our product team, so there's a really nice chance to provide feedback and notes. So I could, you know, sitting on a plane, I'm big on craftsmanship, I'm big on working on it together versus just relying on that meeting happening, and then it kind of dissipates and you're kind of going off notes and second party stuff. And so I just think there's a really fascinating way to kind of learn, develop, get better and also socialize those conversations with you know our clients who are busy we can kind of get more mileage out of those conversations with more important people at our company to help kind of do our best work in in return and so that's one i'm i'm very bullish on because i want to build a rigorous organization that provides feedback and have a, a, a provides sounding boards and genuine help to our our team and so i just think there's a really Interesting set of things that are so constructive with using Kong. The one thing I'll say too that I understand and always want to work through is like earning trust with your team that we're not watching game film like judging them, you know, like picking them apart. And I think that's the initial, you know, feeling or sentiment that people have for some of that stuff. And so my job as a leader is to make sure that. We're building trust with the team, of like how we're, we're using that properly. We're using those assets, we're using those tools in a, an appropriate way, and not to pick you apart or be critical, but to learn and to grow and to understand what our clients want, want so we can kind of get more bullseyes with fewer arrows on the solutions that we provide back to them.
1: I always kind of feel like RevOps is, is seeking the truth, right? I mean, I know. We as leaders, yeah. like, we always are, but RevOps is like trying to put numbers to the truth. And yeah. when you're, like you said, when you're looking forward, when you're a forecaster, that's impossible, right? We know it's impossible to be perfect. And so when you have a tool like Agong, where you're creating new metrics, both from a leadership standpoint, like you mean, managing your managers, or from all the way down to the account level, it's ridiculously valuable. And we have a question that I'm going to ask you here in a second. What's what's a blind spot that you wish you could measure? And I think that this was a, a clear blind spot that every single head of sales wish they could be there with every rep all the time. But in and of itself, that is super interesting. But then you look at the RevOps use cases and like, what are they saying? What are they not saying? How many times are they bringing up our competitors? How many times are they, re- we talked about this in another episode, how many times are they bringing up the word COVID? How many times That's are they bringing exactly. up the word, you know, tech apocalypse? And like all these things like budget, how many times, you know, like, there's so, there's so much richness to this information. And like imagining as a as a leader, you're like, if the RevOps person comes to you and says, Hey, I built a dashboard, prospect says the word budget seven times in a call, they're much more likely to buy in eight months than in two. And like like that yeah. is transformational data, you know? Well, that's right. And the other thing is it's, there's always like
2: bias that you happen. thus humans have bias in kind of everything that we do. And that's a great example of like, yeah, they said budget eight times. We might want to pay attention to that. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or, or what does that mean? And, and correlate that. And that's impossible. I don't care how strong of a note taker you are. You know, you're focused on doing a good job and reading the room and those things. You're, you're not going to pick up how many times they said that word and so i do think it does lead to like really cool things i i do think though to make that work there's got to be trust though that the team has to trust you that that's how you're actually using it versus some other kind of judgy critical way and i think that's just work that you have to kind of develop with your team to kind of have them feel that way and frankly you know with your partners too that be like that they're open to do it and they understand understand how we're using it and how we're not using it you know what i mean and so it's it's novel enough that we have to work at that part too and i don't i never underestimate that that's a good one because that's absolutely true
1: yeah i mean that's the value like we've we've talked to a lot of revops leaders where they where they don't sit in any department where it's just like they're an independent entity and it's like they're just trying to be like hey you know, not that it's marketing versus sales or whatever, but they're just kind of saying like, "Hey, this is just what the data shows, right?" Like, if someone downloads seven ebooks, they're more likely to buy in the next two months. That's not a sales metric. It's not a marketing metric. It's like it's a rev ops thing, and that's where like the true data blends with the art of sales, sort of the magic of marketing. Agreed. Do you
2: believe that they should be independent? You talk to a lot of people in the space. Do you think just having that complete independence is like the right setup?
1: I kind of am leaning that way now. I think definitely yeah. under finances, and this is totally like just Ian's call from, <laughs> the, from talking to a ton of Revos people and being right. really interested in this, but I definitely don't think it should be under finance. I feel strongly about that. I feel that they have to be really aligned with both marketing and sales and it if your pathway to promotion is through revenue or through marketing, then you probably lose some amount of objectivity just naturally and then rarely customer journey is going to be tracked as well, and like this is the classic sales thing is like new logos, new logos, new logos, and then to chief customer officers, like we keep churning accounts because we keep closing these logos on a premise that's like. Our product is seven months out from. So, you know, this isn't, you're not helping us by doing this sort of stuff. My hypothesis is that for the companies where it lives independently, it creates a little bit more objectivity, but you also have to be dug into, like, again, the art of sales, which like someone convincing another person to sign a document that commits you together. And then the art of marketing, which is this crazy multi touch new not even a funnel crazy world that marketing is now so much of the sales before they even get to you so it's all interconnected and it kind of feels like that rev ops is we used to say the zipper between sales and marketing and now it's sort of like <laughs> a foundational layer for all yeah. three of the customer journey
2: yeah and i think that's actually a really interesting point i hadn't fully thought that through that was a i'm glad i asked you that question uh i think especially as like these stacks kind of build out too, and there's just more ballast around what it what it does. It 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 does becoming its own kind of discipline. So, for the reasons you describe, I think that's a that's a pretty good idea.
1: Yeah, I have a to, quick anecdote. I have to take that one from you, Ian. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I was talking to a VP of RevOps the other day, off of camera, and they were saying that they were basically like, "I don't know why this stage exists." My CRO thinks that it it should be here, and I'm like. It do, it makes no sense that this stage exists. Why don't you just change it? Like that seems silly. It's like oh well, you know reasons, and and like that's the sort of thing where it's like collectively, like you have to have that conversation. We'd also talked about this idea of like when some when a black swan event happens, of like putting a black swan thing in your pipeline. Of like, hey, everyone keeps saying it's because of SVB. Like just throw that in the and like those sort of things, like whose call is that, right? Is it the CRO's call? Like, probably. But like, should there sort of be an independently look from a RevOps person who can challenge the CRO and be like, hey, you, I think you're wrong on this. You know, that's just, you know, and if they report to them, it's a little trickier.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And you can kind of replicate that independence depending on like the seniority and the juice that that person has mm-hmm. in the company. So back to Eric Filler here, he has that. So yeah. I guess yeah. in Nextdoor's case, we do have that measure of independence just because of his stature in the company and so forth. But you're, you're raising like really good points about neutrality and just being truth seekers. It's a good way to think about it.
1: All right, let's get to our final segment, Quick Hits.
2: Whee! Quick! Quick! Whee!
1: These are quick questions and quick answers. Tim, are you ready? I am. You could be any animal. Or no, sorry. <laughs> if you could make any animal any size, what animal would it be and what size?
2: I love this question. And, you know, I, I definitely think I, I have two rescue doggies. They're like carriers. They're like 30 pounds. I've lo- I would love to see them like the size of water buffaloes. Just, oh, that's a great answer. Just to walk around with them and just like, See how many how many cheeseburgers they can eat, <laughs> and just like how well, they would just run around, and like now they're bigger than the other dogs. And I, I would just love to see what happens. And and if I could, and if I could saddle up and ride one of them, that would even be better.
1: I love it. Great answer. Any advice for a head of sales who is partnering with a brand new rev Ops leader?
2: Being clear, uh, striking like very strong uh, communication cadence. Being super transparent, you know, clean, well lit environment with regards to strategy, the issues, you know, you know what I mean. Like just genuinely treating that person like a sister or a brother, in the sense of bringing them along. Definitely not, you know, avoiding like creating an, any kind of adversarial type of relationship, and understanding that 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 person's there to help the company win and so forth, and so. I, I think just establishing that like clear line of communication. That again, trust is an important one. Candor is an important one, right off the bat. Definitely the foundation for everything else you do, because you're going to be solving problems. There's going to be sensitive situations you're going to have to navigate. You're going to have to. You're going to really have to be able to work problems with someone who you trust and can rely on, and so forth. So I, that's probably I kind of go in that direction. Because I've had so many instances where that was such a prominent part of that working relationship between me and the RevOps team that that would probably start there.
1: Tim, it has been absolutely fantastic chatting with you today on this very rainy Bay Area uh, <laughs> weekday. For our listeners, go check out nextdoor.com. You could go download the app if you haven't already. Tim, any, any final thoughts, anything to... Oh, and if you're an advertiser, of course, uh, go advertise on Nextdoor. Tim, any final thoughts, anything to plug? That's our main thing. Just keep follow us. We have uh, great ambitions
2: for this company. We've got a lot of talented people working on some very interesting things. And so we can't wait to kind of show those to the world as we, as we move forward. So my email is tr at nextdoor.com. If anybody has any questions, definitely uh, shoot me a note. Any friend of Ian's is a friend of mine. <laughs> and we'll look forward to seeing you out there.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Take care.
2: Thanks, Ian. Thank you for listening to Rise of RevOps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening. This podcast was created by the team at Qualified. The Pipeline Cloud is the modern way B2B revenue teams generate pipeline. Learn more at qualified.com.